when it comes to Chinese President Xi Jinping, I'm sure you've heard enough about how the West thinks about Xi. But in the past two years, democracies have become stronger, not weaker. Autocracies grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. That impression seems to be settled, maybe even strengthened during the three years of China's draconian COVID-0 policy. This week marks the first anniversary of Shanghai's lockdown, where more than 25 million residents were confined at home for two months, some without access to even food and medicine at times. My colleague Colin Murphy on how President Xi's credibility fares at home and what that means for his leadership going forward. Column, my understanding is you've been covering China for a bit more than a decade. Is that correct? Yeah, that's about right. I started off in Shanghai, basically, where I was covering automotive. Now I'm covering government out of Beijing. So it's taken me to many different parts of the country. So I've been around. So Column, we know it's the one-year anniversary of Shanghai's lockdown. But we also know that China just reversed the COVID-0 policy this January. Things seem to be bouncing back to, well, quote-unquote, normal. So why are we talking about Xi's credibility right now? Right. So I think the key point is that so many factors are pointing to a more powerful uh, Xi. I mean, he's become head of his party. He's become the president of the country. But all of this is happening at a time when when China has faced some of the biggest problems uh, it has seen in, in decades, perhaps, uh, chief among which is the COVID-0 policy and how that was handled. And of course, that has all of the hallmarks of Xi himself. So when that strategy sort of unravels and the government does a U-turn on that. China is starting to unravel its zero COVID policy. But instead of crowds out celebrating, this is how reopening is going in China. Closed shops empty streets, people avoiding each other, because for the first time... And of course, a lot of people are going to look at the person who has been proposing this policy and asking, does he have what it takes to actually run the country and take care of his people? Right. Okay. So how how do people feel about Xi and his administration on the ground based on your reporting? Well, there's many different perspectives on this, obviously, depending on what part of the country who you talk to, demographics, so on and so forth. But I would say uh, an increasing number of people are now uh, questioning the ability of the Chinese government to look after them, especially when it comes to the economy. Broadly speaking, the Chinese Communist Party has this so-called social contract with Chinese people, whereby the understanding, even though it's not explicit, is, okay, you give up political power to us, and we'll take care of you economically. Now, in the past three years, specifically under COVID, not only have people's lives been put on hold, in many cases, they've got worse. So that's one of the main areas where people are uh, worried about, you know, what's going to happen going forward. Right. And I think the protests against COVID-0 last year in Shanghai really captured how fast sentiment changed. We know it was sparked by this deadly fire in Urumuchi. That's the capital of Xinjiang. 
a COVID lockdown had reportedly delayed the rescue service and then hampered the victims' efforts to flee. After that, people in Shanghai just gathered to mourn the victims. But it quickly turned into something else. Can you just quickly describe the scenes from those protests? Right. So um, on that evening, protesters gathered in Wulubuchi Road in Shanghai, and it quickly evolved into a protest where at first people were asking for the leader to apologize. And shouting things like, yes to freedom, no to lockdown. But that very quickly turned into something more. Soon they were calling out things like down with Xi Jinping. So this is quite unusual and quite rare and quite a sudden thing. It was sudden. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but we don't usually see Chinese people participate or even talk about politics, let alone express their frustrations, their views against the president directly. So why is that specifically the case with Xi Jinping? I think one of the main reasons is because uh, Xi Jinping has put himself front and center of everything. For Xi himself, I mean, it's been a decade-long period in power. And at the outset, he was definitely um, heralded amongst many people and popular, uh, mainly due to things such as uh, his push for uh, anti-corruption. General Secretary Xi Jinping opened the meeting, calling to intensify laws and regulations to push forward China's battle against corruption. But... As time went by, it became very clear that uh, the controls in the Chinese society were getting tighter and tighter. We saw uh, civil society, for example, uh, practically wiped out. And then we were told uh, how the tech sector, how the entrepreneurs in the tech sector should behave. For two years, China has been cracking down on the power of its biggest tech companies. This has spanned sectors, e-commerce... Parents were told, you know, this is how you should educate your children. China is adding what it calls Xi Jinping thought to the national curriculum. The education ministry says it's meant to establish Marxist beliefs in students. And that sort of cut back on the after-hours education system. So across a lot of facets of life, um, he was directly coming into people's lives. And, you know, whereas traditionally there might be other players that he could, the leader could point to and, and blame, that's more and more uh, not the case in China. And everything is centering on this one person. And that has the advantages of, you know, he's super powerful, he could make uh, any decision without much opposition. But it also means that when things go wrong, that he, he becomes a very uh, easily identifiable target. And I think that's part of what's what's going on here. So, Colm, I think we've established that there is a credibility deficit here. But we also need to point out and remember, China is massive. It's diverse. I guess the key question now is, how widespread really 
is sentiment against Xi Jinping, especially given it's really so hard to measure people's dissatisfaction? It's virtually impossible to measure in a scientific and accurate way. That's because there are no reliable surveys in China. And the country, as you mentioned, is, is massive. It's very diverse, even in terms of ethnicity, but also in demographics. So to be able to reach out and uh, conclusively say this is how the country feels about Xi is very, very difficult. But having said that, my colleagues and myself have reached out extensively throughout the country and interviewed as many different types of people as possible. And based on that, I think we can say that discontent is definitely more marked. That does not mean that everybody everywhere is unhappy with Xi, but it does suggest more people and those people are becoming more vocal and willing to share in as far as they can their dissatisfaction. That's interesting. Can you tell us a little bit more about some of these specific conversations you've had on the ground during those reporting trips? So I think one of the most memorable encounters I had was uh, at a coffee shop, an outdoor coffee shop on uh, the corner of Amphulu and Wulamuchilu in Shanghai. Um, these particular names are important because that's basically the location where we had uh, the outbreak of protests in November. So I met somebody there, one of my sources, and we were chatting, and, and she explained to me that basically the whole way she looked at the role of government and the performance of the Chinese government had shifted considerably uh, during the past year. By the way, we treated her voice to protect her identity. First of all, I, I never really like followed what what's like the government is doing because you kind of feel like you kind of feel like things are under control. In particular, she was saying that you know in the past the government was almost invisible; that she didn't really have to worry about them. They were there behind the scenes, working away, creating policies, making life better for everybody, including her. But then with the lockdown. She saw the horrors of the actual day-to-day -day, uh, ruling and, 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 and uh, decisions made by government on all levels. And that basically uh, shocked her. She said she had now seen the inner workings of the government and she doesn't know if she could ever really uh, trust them again. And are they really as capable as they had led people to believe in the past? You're like, oh, like maybe they're not so... They don't know what they're doing. Maybe like things are not so like planned out and calculated after mm -hmm. all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's okay. Wow. So we know there's frustration. We know there are a lot of questions that are being raised and some of these frustrations are simmering and boiling. There's still protests across the country, even after the government, of course, walked away from, from COVID zero. Well, what do we make of all of this? What do we take away from this? I think a, a takeaway in the short term is that, you know, the brain drain is a real thing for China. Um, the brightest and the best are leaving, whether they be expatriates, but also Chinese, of course, uh, who want to make their lives elsewhere. Longer term, I don't think it means that she is completely off the hook. You know, just because this uh, COVID zero situation has uh, past uh, does not mean that there will not be uh, political 
consequences for the actions going forward. And I do think people will be looking at him, including his own political party. But the amount of power that he's managed to concentrate in his hands at this moment means that it's unlikely that he will come under direct threat in the foreseeable future. Um, another consequence could be if this dissatisfaction is not addressed, then where can it find an outlet? Increasingly, the outlets uh, that people have to express their dissatisfaction are becoming less and less. So, for example, uh, media um, has been censored more and more. Civil society has been all but eliminated. So where do people go when they have troubles going forward? One possibility, and it's a frightening one, could be a rise in nationalism. Could this be uh, the way we see frustration being vented going forward as more people look at foreign countries, among them the US, as a, a target for their angst and their, and their anger? Colin Murphy, thank you so much. Thank you.